This is what you're fighting for. I mean, every day you're out there. What they're doing is blowing people off. If you continue to look the other way and shut up, then the oppressors, the authoritarians get total control and total power. Because this is just like in Arizona. This is just like in Georgia. It's another element that backs them into a quarter and shows their lies and misrepresentations. This is why this audience is going to have to get engaged. As we've told you, this is the fight. All this nonsense, all this spin, they can't handle the truth. War Room Battleground. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. First of all, town halls are for the voters, not for the press, not for the person who's the moderator. Caitlin spent more time interjecting her own viewpoints or her own look, views on the situation. Excuse me, the, 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 those are actually facts, facts Now, are you, hold on, are you guys not going to interject your well, views on here? Do I get a chance to right, speak now? If you're speaking okay, falsely, wait a second, wait a second, those were facts. The town hall is for the president to speak to the voters of New Hampshire, not for this back and forth well, with, with media. Who that's number that? one. Hold on. That's, hold on. That's number one. Number two, with respect to Ukraine, I totally disagree. He did not say he was just going to give over Ukraine the way you intimate, Van. He did not say that. What he said was, Van, what he said was, is that he would actually look for a solution to end it quickly. He put 24 hours on it, but let's be very clear. What Joe Biden has done has been a disaster because initially with Ukraine. Joe Biden wanted to give Vladimir Zelensky a, a ride out of Dodge. He wanted to give him a plane ride. And it wasn't until people in Moscow, in Ukraine, here in the United States said this invasion is wrong that Joe Biden reversed course. Do you want a victory in Ukraine? Do you want a victory in Ukraine? I'm just trying to respond to everything that's been coming up on the table. Okay. Last um, thing. I could play that. And we've run the sprockets off this. That That is a master clash right there. And it's done by one of the most impressive uh, young congressmen in the House of Representatives, uh, as in the previous hour, uh, we've gone through this incredible press conference today or the, the, the juxtaposition of what Kevin McCarthy did over on the, uh, the terrace, the West Terrace today, compared and contrast to the hapless, uh, illegitimate Joe Biden. I want to bring in Congressman Byron Donalds of Florida 19. Uh, Congressman, and, and I want to get back to what you did uh, after the town hall, which was a master class on how you stand in the breach. And don't let the media control the narrative, but you control the narrative because you've got a command presence. But today, what we saw uh, with McCarthy and, and people, I went to a conference this weekend and people were talking about it, the, the inflection point in the great fight of the first week of, uh, of, of January was when Byron Donald's name was put into as, as to be Speaker of the House. That kind of changed the entire momentum and it brought us, it made Kevin McCarthy a better speaker. It brought us today to a complete show of unity of the House and the Senate. Tell us about that. Tell us about what you guys achieved in the first week, the 20, as we call it, achieved in the first week of January and why it is so important of what we're doing today in this great fight over the debt ceiling, sir. Well, I think what happened first, Steve, man, it's good to be on your show. Uh, big fan of yours, so it's good to be here. Um, a couple of things that really happened that week. The first was, we wanted to make sure that the house would actually operate and function like the house is supposed to function. Uh, for a very long time up here, uh, the speaker's office has just accumulated more power from the members. And, you know, there was a bunch of us who were just tired of it. And so, you know, we wanted to see a house that really would function. And our, our view, which I think has now played out, is that if you had a more collaborative House of Representatives, it would actually make the speaker and put the speaker in a better position because then it wouldn't just be a speaker with their staff and their core team coming up with the, with the ideas and the packages. It would actually be the entire 
uh, a body that would be doing that. And so out of that first week, what's, what's happened is we've been working hard. We've been sitting down in meetings, going over different idea sets. So that's how we were able to produce a, the, the most conservative border security package that's ever passed the House of Representatives. We were able to pass meaningful uh, legislation about energy independence and permitting reform, which is needed in our country in more ways than I can even uh, talk to in this segment. And then the biggest one, obviously, that most people are focused on is, this, is the debt ceiling uh, situation and how we're going to try to find a way to navigate that. But you can't get to any of those meaningful packages if you don't have members of Congress working together. And we've been able to do that. And that first week really set the tempo of, hey, look, we want to have an open process, a collaborative process. We want to make sure we're looking at finding ways to get our spending cut and, and, and getting back to some pathway of being fiscally responsible up here on Capitol Hill. And so the first week really helped us do that. And I think that, you know, Speaker McCarthy, he's responded knowing kind of where all the where all the members are in the conference. And he's actually been uh, really doing a doing a really good job leading us. And we've been working with him to be successful. I think what people are blown away about is how you've brought the conference together by doing this. And this all goes back to rules and process and procedure. But I think mm -hmm. what people are stunned about today is how that leadership and really putting that, that, that energy in the House in these bills you passed, you've brought over the Senate. I mean, what stunned people today is that you had Barrasso, you had Lee, and you had it choreographed one congressman and then a senator. Tell us about that. Tell us about the leadership. I mean, the House has actually stepped up here and been, you can tell the senators appreciate it. They, they, they respect what you guys are doing, the men and women in the House. Tell us about that for a second, because we've never had a we've never had a show of unity like this at the very moment we need unity. Well, first of all, I think when you have members who are prepared to, I guess, go 15 rounds with, you know, with the future speaker going back to that first date, I mean, that kind of sent. It sent shockwaves over to the Senate. You know, senators were kind of telling us behind the scenes, like, oh, my gosh, you guys are really doing this. And then being able to kind of keep the narrative, the media narrative contained, uh, also making sure that even though you're going to have, uh, you know, this disagreement within our conference, that you find a way orderly to, to land that plane and come to a resolution. That really set the tempo for everything else. And so I think you have members of the Senate Republican senators are looking at that and they're saying, man, okay, if these guys can go through that in the first week and still maintain, you know, the messaging apparatus and put forward what they're really trying to accomplish, and that's getting buy-in around the country, which, by the way, got a ton of buy-in around the country from Republicans, whether they're knee-deep in politics or just Republican voters, our activists who, are, who, who really care about our country. If you can get all these people to be to buy into that narrative and that strategy, then what else can the House really accomplish? And I think that's where you have Republican senators looking at it and saying, you know what? These guys have kind of figured out how to drive a hard bargain, how to stay unified and how to explain that and get that out to the American people. You know, why would we undercut them? So I think you saw that today at the press conference. It's a very good thing because we're our country is a, is a mess right now because of Joe Biden and it's going to require Republicans to stay together and and really, you know, lock arms and be focused on conservative solutions to our country. 
because if, if we're divided, the Democrats are just going to pick us apart, and that's not going to be uh, in the best interest of the country. You, you, this, uh, the debt ceiling debate couldn't be higher stakes. It couldn't be more intense. It could, the whole world's watching this. Your folks back in Florida 19, when you go back, because we, we know that you're very close to your constituents, what are they telling you when they're saying, hey, Congressman, this is, this is our thoughts about this whole spending, the debt ceiling, and how you negotiate? Well, the biggest thing is, you know, I have some constituents who are saying, why don't even raise the debt ceiling. I have some of the, I have some there. I have other constituents saying you got to do it. You can't possibly let the, the nation default. But at the end of the day, what I try to make sure I tell everybody back home is we have to get our spending under control. There's just no way around that. Um, the debt ceiling is going to be raised in one way or the other up here. So it's better that conservatives are driving the solutions about how the nation's debt is going to be raised. And so I think that's, that's what I've been communicating and that's the input I've received. When we passed our plan in the House, constituents, whether you know, they're conservative activists or you know, they might even be more moderate Republicans, one, they were all stunned we got something passed, and two, they were really excited to see what we passed. And, and it wasn't just about passing the bill, it was about actually cutting federal spending it was about pulling stuff out like the student loan bailout, which was a disaster. And frankly, it's unconstitutional. Um, obviously, unspent COVID money, RAINS Act, which a lot of people who've watched policy for a long time have wanted to see happen. Um, HR, you know, our, our HR2, our bill around domestic energy production, things like that. To put all that in a package and get all of us to agree, they're like, man, this is great stuff. And it actually is common sense. It's easy to explain. People get it. They understand it. Work requirements, big piece of it as well. So I think, I think what's really occurred back home is people have, have seen us put something together. They like it. I mean, everybody wants to see something different or something more, and I understand that. But that's the process you go through when you're trying to keep you know, 218 members together to put something forward that's constructive. And I think it's a really good package. And I think you know, the voters back home in Southwest Florida uh, I like it. They like the direction. They really appreciate it. If very few people ever get nominated uh, by their colleagues to be Speaker of the House, and almost no one's ever been nominated as early in the career as you, tell our audience, what, what, since you're, you've, you've started with a bang, where's your focus? What's the center of gravity? When you, when you uh, look at your time in the House and the House of Representatives, what's your big focus? What are the issues that you think are the most important for the American people? Well, for, for me, the ones that I focus on up here are financial regulatory issues. I think those are, those are critical, I think, for our financial system. So much of what happens in our economy is based upon capital being able uh, to freely move. You know, it's, it's not the sexy stuff like border security. Like, I got colleagues that really focus on that, on those policies, and they do a great job. But I just want to make sure that our economy continues to be that engine. A policy focus of mine that really uh, came up because I was looking at ESG policy and all the, the, the crazy stuff from the radical left is nuclear. In my office, we do a lot of nuclear policy work, very focused on that. But I'll tell you, even the reason I ran for Congress was about really pushing the message of what conservatism really is and not listening to what the media pundits say. And so, you know, I, I told a colleague of mine, like the CNN town hall stuff I did the other day that you were playing at the top. Um, that's some of the stuff I wanted to do coming to Congress and using the, 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 the platform of a, of a congressional office to share conservatism with all Americans. So sometimes it means you go into hostile territory 
but that's okay because the messages I receive you know, outside of media, I think are, are really helpful in delivering that I, I want to go to that. And I know we're jammed for time, but I got to go to that because people don't understand in the moment how hard it is, not just to keep your composure, but to have a command. You can, you totally controlled that. You totally commanded that. And I tell people, you can't coach that. That is a natural talent to be able to bring it in the moment. Walk us through that. And you had a panel of nine and these were all heavy hitters. They were all, and I'm sitting there watching live. I go, oh, my God, here we go now. <laughs> all of them, <laughs> boom, right there, and you blew it out of the water. Talk to us about it. When you made that decision, hey, I'm coming in hot, talk, talk to us about that. Well, honestly, that really came out of my time as an activist. Like I, I got started in politics about a decade ago, Tea Party activist. And so listen, on the panel, I went last. I'm kind of glad I went last because I was listening to their punditry. And frankly, I was just getting pissed off because I heard a completely different town hall than they than they heard. And I just wanted to set the record straight and really speak to it like a normal citizen would, not as a member of Congress, not as somebody who's trying to maintain all the right cues and all the right words, but but bringing that passion that so many Americans feel when they hear these these political debates on TV or they hear the punditry class on TV. So that's how I responded in terms of like Going back and forth, I mean, like I'm a I'm a sports junkie. I argue about sports all the time with friends and stuff like that. So it's kind of taking a little bit of that and bringing it to politics and really just engaging. But the biggest thing overall is you have to know your information and you cannot be afraid when they push back. They're going to try to push back on you. You kind of have to go in knowing that and you have to be prepared to deal with the pushback and have the courage of your convictions um, to continue to go forward. And, and that's what I did. And I'm glad it worked out. Congressman, it was a master class. Uh, we thank you. We know you're incredibly busy, particularly on today of all days. Uh, could you uh, just give us your social media and your website? Where do people go and find out more about you? Because, like I said, very few individuals are ever nominated to be Speaker of the House. And I don't think anyone's ever been nominated uh, in the early stages of the career like you have. So uh, as a, a former Tea Party activist, uh, folks could not be more excited about having you in the House and having you in leadership. Where do they go to get more about you? Everything is at Byron Donalds. Follow me there, Facebook, you know, Twitter, all that kind of stuff. Uh, website, byrondonalds.com. I try to keep it simple. Congressman Donalds, honored to have you on here. Keep fighting. All right. Hey, listen, thank you, Steve. Thanks, brother. That is a, um, watch that young man. That is incredibly impressive what he did at CNN and just everything when he presents himself and the issues he takes on. He's not out. Uh, one thing's about Donald's, it's very important on this nuclear power. Look, if we're going to get uh, really sustainable energy uh, in the future, it's going to be based upon nuclear power. And you see a guy like Donald's that goes and, and does the hard issues. The, the capital markets, the regulatory, absolutely essential for a robust economy. This is what's so impress impressive. He can step into the breach in CNN uh, in, the, in the moment that it counts. But he's also a workhorse. He's not a, just a show horse, not a guy just doing cable TV to do it all the time. Uh, a real hard worker. Uh, let's go to Mark Mitchell. Mark at Rasmussen. Uh, another poll today that kind of, I had my jaw drop. Try to get you in the morning show, but we had to cut to the, the McCarthy. Walk us through this. Uh, uh, these poll numbers are stunning. So can you walk, just take it from the top and walk me through it. Yeah, the top line is in our polling, Ron DeSantis's numbers are worse than they've ever been. And they're going in the wrong direction for him. 
So we've been testing primary matchups on and off for the last couple months, and it had been a, a while since we did Republicans. So we did it again, and we threw everybody at the respondents. So we included Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, Mike Pence, Nikki Haley, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, and Asa Hutchinson, as well as some other candidate. And Donald Trump beats Ron DeSantis 62 to 17%. Ron DeSantis is 17% is the lowest we've ever had in a poll. That Trump 62% is the highest it's been in a really long time. And DeSantis is doing worse among Republicans than even uh, Bobby Kennedy is doing among Democrats. So really not great. The last time we asked it was back in February, right after Nikki Haley had announced. And among Republicans, Trump took home 52 percent of the vote. DeSantis did 24 percent there. And he'd actually gotten up in the mid 30s in Republicans. Now, I'm looking back at the last couple months and I'm really starting to get a feel that this whole thing about DeSantis really wasn't about his ability as a candidate, um, you know, to really compete with Trump. It was more about Trump himself. So the worst Trump did was in the beginning of February, not long after the fight uh, for speakership. And Trump still beat DeSantis among Republicans, but it was close. It was in the teens. And now he's opened up essentially a 45-point lead among Republicans. It's just going in the wrong direction. And from the reports I'm hearing, DeSantis is taking in a lot of money. Uh, presumably, they're spending that on consultants and a lot of polling, and they can't like these numbers they've seen. Um, but even just outside of the Republican circles, at an all-likely voter level, we ask these questions of all likely voters as well. And the story there isn't great either. So President Trump, among all voters, and of course, not all voters are going to vote in the Republican primary, but it gives you a feel for really how that person would do generally at the national level in, in a general. Uh, Trump takes 37 percent of the vote and DeSantis is only getting 14. Now, that 14 is higher than any of the other Republican candidates, but it's still not great. So two weeks ago, we asked about Kennedy versus Biden and all the other Democrats. And um, Kennedy almost tied Biden, essentially uh, 35% to 36%. And back when we asked about Nikki Haley in a question like this, she got 25%. So if you take those five candidates and rank them at a national level, DeSantis comes in a pretty distant fifth place. So even at the national stage, um, he really isn't as much of an item as those other four candidates. Hold on, hang on. And walk me through, I, I mean, is this uh, likely voters? Is this likely voters or just the general Republican thing? Because these numbers are kind of jaw dropping. So I want to make sure that we take a second to break it down. Because when I saw the poll, you got it to me early. It blew me away. Is this just registered yeah. voters or likely voters? Uh, Rasmussen, we really believe in the likely voter model. So pretty much everything political that we run is going to yeah. be likely voters. And that just means we ask somebody, how likely are, are you going to vote? Now, we also had a question, how likely are you going to vote in the Republican presidential primary? And I was pretty astounded at how high that number was. Now, we know half of America has somewhat open primary states. Um, but even among people that say they're very likely to vote in the Republican primaries, um, Trump is still beating DeSantis 53 to 18 percent. Really, any way you cut these numbers, DeSantis loses to Trump. There's not one single demographic where DeSantis does better than Trump, except among self-identified liberals and he beats trump by one point so it's it's really just across the board and and again the tables did shift towards DeSantis back in the end of january the early you know early february 
But with Trump out there on the stump, with him doing town halls and getting the right kind of press, I think that's what really moved it. Well, it's nothing DeSantis no. did. This, yeah. I'm going to be blunt. This, this started, I can go back and track to exactly when it started. It was East Palestine. When Trump went to East yeah. Palestine and, and DeSantis didn't, not just DeSantis didn't, really DeSantis can't. And that's the, the key point. That was the beginning yeah. of Trump. And then you had the CNN talk. I just want to make sure I go through here. You had DeSantis at one time. In the same thing with likely voters, and I think likely is the much better way, and I disagree with people that just either don't do either registered voters who get a lot of misreads on polling. The people just do Americans or American citizens or even registered. Here you're getting people well, that are kind of focused and actually going to be relevant. It's cheaper to do registered voter polling off cycle. So, so there is that. That's why people do it for sure. Uh, so he went from 30, he's gone from 37% to 17%. In essentially 100 yeah. days, January, February, March, April, a little over 100 days, a little over 100 days, essentially 100 days, he's gone from 37 percent. It's it's in your history as a pollster. Would you define that as a collapse? Yeah, it's it's 100 percent a collapse. But, yeah, you know, on the flip side, Trump is screaming, doing great right now. And maybe I mean, he, Trump is pulling the votes from DeSantis. Um, and, you know, maybe DeSantis didn't earn those respondents really to begin with. Um, I think that he and, and again, we've talked about this. Republicans do like Ron DeSantis. He's a Trump substitute. He's not a Trump replacement. And I'll, I'll, t- I'll give you one more that's really fascinating. So back in February of 2022, we asked a very similar question. This is what I like to call the Republican clown car. We literally threw every candidate at these people, uh, Cheney, Cruz, DeSantis, Haley, uh, you know, Pence, Pompeo. And back then, uh, over a year ago, um, Trump beat DeSantis 47% to 20%. And so here we are over a year later, presumably with a lot of major news media attention for DeSantis, a huge election win and, you know, foreign trips and all these other things. And he's polling worse among Republicans than he was over a year ago. He's down three points since then from there. So he's even on a national stage, even when you ask all likely voters, um, back then Trump was beating DeSantis 30 to 14%. And today DeSantis is still at 14%. So Trump's gained seven points among all voters and DeSantis is flat in about 15 month time period. But look, I love, I like what Governor Sanders has done in Florida, but I said, I'm not sure it's going to translate right now. That's why he should finish his term and, and be as great a governor as possible. But I believe the more that you see him, and I think he's making tremendous missteps because of these consultants and the big money in Backham. The big money in Backham don't, does not care about Ron DeSantis. They care about stopping Trump. And they've used yeah. uh, Governor DeSantis. And I've said from the beginning, as soon as he's used up and these numbers are getting there, because this is a collapse. And for, not just that, this is a collapse. The undercard, when you really look at the reasons why, you can't turn this around. Because the more they see you, it's not going to all of a sudden, oh, yeah, I didn't see that aspect of it. This is called being weighed and measured and found wanting. That's that's the headline out of the Rasmussen poll. Mark, incredible yeah. work. Uh, how do people get to you? How do they get to you? I understand YouTube's giving you a rumble. You got a new uh, rumble site. Walk people through how they get to the Rasmussen polling. Yeah, we'd love to have you to sign up either on YouTube or Rumble. Either one works. You're going to get the same videos. And we're on True Social and, and Getter. 
Um, but I really want to make a pitch for people to come to our Twitter account, Rasmussen underscore poll. I know a lot of your audience may not be on Twitter, uh, but you might not know this. Just recently, a big conversation on Twitter has been this study that was done in coordination with Cornell University in the Technion in Israel. And they ranked the 10,000 highest spreaders of, quote, election misinformation during the 2020 cycle. And Rasmussen reports Twitter feed ranked 42nd on the list of 10,000. Now, of course, we're very careful to only share primary source material, data out of local investigations into electoral irregularities, and things that have meat at a national scale, like 2,000 mules and like True the Vote. Um, so we're out there spreading information that we think is important because as pollsters, we need to know if there is election fraud. Um, so we're making waves there. And if, if people like that, really appreciate a follow on Twitter. We will uh, we will definitely get everybody that's on Twitter. We want them to follow Rasmus on Twitter. Mark Mitchell, thank you very much. Honored to have you on here. Great analysis. My pleasure. Thanks. Shocking. Shocking if you're a DeSantis uh, fan. Let me. I want to bring in Carly Bonet. Uh, Carly runs Midnight uh, Writer. Carly, uh, you've done such an incredible job. You you are a true news junkie. How many hours a day are you following the news, ma'am? Oh boy, I never put a time limit on it. Sometimes I'll wake up in the middle of the night and you know something tells me go look at this and I post it. But I do get sleep. I'm good. Maybe eleven, twelve hours a day. What what do you uh, we got about a minute here and I'm gonna hold you through the break. What are the news you go and you're pulling great videos all the time? What are the news sources that you're going to to pull all these great uh, videos and all the great articles you're putting up? Well, you of course over on Getter, you can put the articles up. But I watch a lot of Fox and and people do depend on that because a lot of people have cut the cable to Fox, and there's uh, people. In, on my uh, Midnight Rider chat that are from other countries and they appreciate the Fox clips where a lot of people say, stop watching Fox. You yourself say, stop watching Fox. <laughs> but I want to see the other side, you know? You got to know what's going on there. They are a major news source. So I know I'm bad. I know you get mad if you stop watching Fox, but I'm going to do it because I'm familiar <laughs> with it. And Jesse's still great. Yeah. You know, there's good people there. By the way, just just hang on for one second. We'll go through a a short commercial break. Carly (laughs) Bonet is with us from the Midnight Rider. They're they're a fabulous source. I'm on there all the time watching all the clips she's putting up. Although she does put up these Fox clips from time to time, she gets the great Jesse Waters and Judge Janine and all the great folks. There's a lot of great folks there. Short commercial break. Going to be back in the war room in just a second. In today's world, we face challenges like government overreach, attacks on communication, global conflicts, and natural disasters. And relying on your cell phone in these scenarios simply won't cut it. That's why I've been partnering with Satellite Phone Store over the last year to help you stay prepared and ensure your vital communication remains private. They're one of America's largest satellite telecom companies with thousands of happy, well-prepared customers. For a limited time, get an Inmarsat, Insat phone, or Iridium 955 satellite phone for free. Let me repeat that. 
an Inmarsat ISAT phone or Iridium 955 satellite phone for free. These are top of the line. Iridium phones work anywhere on Earth with a clear view of the sky. Cell coverage reaches only 7% of the Earth, while Iridium covers 100% of the Earth. Satellite phones provide secure communication with no tracking or eavesdropping. Even the U.S. military uses Iridium. If cell towers go down for any reason, your satellite phone still works. Now, don't miss this offer. In addition, we work with the folks at the Satellite Phone Store to secure a special discount for our subscribers. Use promo code STEVE50 to waive the $50 activation fee. Let me use that again. The promo code STEVE50, STEVE50, to waive the $50 activation fee and get 10% off products like generators, Faraday bags, or solar panels in May with code STEVE2023. Let me give that to you again. You get 10% off products like generators, the Faraday bags, or solar panels in the month of May with code STEVE2023. Now visit Satellite Phone Store today. Go visit sat123.com. That's sat123.com. Life can change in an instant, so don't wait. Stay prepared, connected, and protect your privacy. Visit sat123.com. Are you tired of progressive corporations and exhausted trying to keep up with all the virtue signaling when you're simply trying to buy products? Progressive corporate America continues to push messaging that further alienates conservative Americans, all while eroding the future of the American dream. It's prominent all over the country. Companies like Starbucks strong-arming their customers to support abortion. Financial services like PayPal canceling customers for their political views. Makeup companies like Maybelline making a mockery of women by supporting transgender models. And beer companies like Bud Light forcing gender ideology on you when all you want is to enjoy a cold beer. Thankfully, we don't have to fund these companies any longer with our hard-earned dollars. With Public Square, we now have a solution. It's simple. Join the movement of millions of patriotic Americans who love truth, our country, and our Constitution at publicsq.com. That's publicsq.com. Public Square is an app and website where you can get connected to tens of thousands of businesses from all different industries that share your value for life, family, and freedom. Whether you're looking to buy coffee, find a new athletic clothing that knows what a woman is, and shop for clean skincare, or simply find a new restaurant in your community that won't lecture you about your political views, publicsq.com is your resource. Public Square also offers discounts to many high-quality businesses on the platform so that you can actually receive incentive for spending money with companies that don't hate you. Public Square is free to join as consumer or a business owner, and you can get started today at publicsq.com. Remember, either as a consumer or a business owner, download the app now. That's publicsq.com, publicsq.com. For War Room veterans, you know we have been all over this supply chain issue with China and medications and the uh, active pharmaceutical ingredients. China has a stranglehold on us where there's a way to break that. 
Jace Medical. I got an emergency medication kit from them. The FDA just declared a global shortage of medication and warned that critical antibiotics are in extreme short supply across the United States. But you know that because you're a viewer or listener of the show. Now, here's the action you can take to correct. Do yourself and your family a favor and get your Jace case right now. It's a pack of five prescription antibiotics you'll have on hand for common emergencies. Just visit jacemedical.com. That's Jace, J-A-S-E, jacemedical.com. Take a few minutes and fill out the form. Your information will be reviewed by a board-certified physician, and your medication will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. You'll be glad you have the Jace case. Go to Jace Medical. That's one word, J-A-S-E, medical.com, and enter code Bannon at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code Bannon at Jace, J-A-S-E, medical.com. You know what the problem is because you've watched the show. You can break, you can take action and break that problem by going to Jace Medical and get your Jace case today. Action, action, action. War Room Battleground with Stephen K. Bannon. Okay, an incredibly, uh, a day of news like no other. Just been absolutely incredible today. I want to go back to Carly Bonet. Carly, uh, the Midnight Rider channel, I'm over there all the time. Tell us about, we got a couple of minutes. How did you form it? How did you come up with the idea? And tell me about the community because the chat's incredible. The folks over there are incredible. How did you do this? Who are they? And uh, how do you make it work? Well, it's basically someone uh, accused me of having a team, but it's basically me and three phones, and I have some great admins that help me out. But this all came about on Telegram because I was continuously taken down from Twitter. Then uh, Parler was demolished, and I like doing videos. That's my my favorite thing to do. Ripping videos. Sometimes I'll add music or you know edit them and telegram was the fastest to upload and a friend of mine saw that my voice was gone and there was nowhere to go there wasn't getter yet there wasn't truth social where am i gonna go and they made me a telegram account a very dear friend from the keystone channel so once i started that it just grew and everyone remembered me and my famous cackle they call it it's a much better cackle than kamala harris i have to admit because i think hers is a little phony where mine's just real belly laugh but i was known for laughing at the tv on twitter and i went viral a couple times and they took down my account i was supposed to be on jesse waters my pin tweet now that i have a, a new account shows the video of when uh jesse waters had on a dog trainer and he said just a PSA uh, Jesse Epstein didn't kill himself and I filmed the TV while this was happening and I laughed out loud and it went like mega viral that Jesse Waters actually DM'd me on Twitter and said I'd like to have you on the show well after about 18 million views they took down my account no warning no reason just oh you're gone and I was heartbroken. And I tried a couple accounts after that, and they just kept taking me down. And that's 
when Telegram happened, and I use it like a news aggregator. I put all the videos there. I'm able to edit the videos right on Telegram. It uploads very fast. And now I find out the CIA is using Telegram to recruit Russians to be spies for us. So I'm on a good site now. Unbelievable. Car Carly, we got to bounce, but I want to make sure everybody gets to all your different touch points because, quite frankly, not just your work, I, I do this for a living now after, what, 10 or 11 years. You have an incredible nose for news, and a lot of people don't have that. You have the real ability to find the buried lead. You have a real ability to find things out there that are signal, not noise, and that's why your channel in your community, I think, is so important and so powerful. So how do people, how do people get there? How did, if they, how did they get to Telegram? And how do they get to your other touch points like uh, Getter and Twitter? Well, it's Carly Bonet on Getter, uh, Truth Social. It's Carly Carly Bonita on uh, Twitter now. And Telegram, it's uh, Midnight Rider. But on all those sites, I have the link to the Telegram channel, which is just nonstop. I, it, I, I get accused of posting too much, but. That's my go-to. That's where like, oh, no. I can edit, no, and then I don't. share it to other sites. The, uh, the entire gang over at Midnight Rider is incredible. The comments are incredible, the whole thing. Your huge team that you work with I know is incredible. So, and we're going to have you back on. Carly's the one that started the whole hair meme of, uh, of, uh, of your humble servant here. So we'll have Carly on another time <laughs> to go through how, that, how, that's, how that's gone viral. Increased our increased our viewership by twenty percent. Carly, Ed you're Henry incredible. You're a fan. fighter and a warrior. Ed Henry's a big fan. He wants this hair. Carly, uh, we love you over here. Keep fighting and uh, say hi to Ray over at the uh, Midnight Rider channel. Thank you, Carly Bonet. Thank you very much. She's an American original, right there. Uh, I want to bring in. Wanted to have this guy on for a while up in the great state of Maine, Sean McBriarty. The fighter for defender of children, fighter for families. You've got something. We're kind of jammed for time today, but Sean, I wanted to get you on to give your overview of what you're working on. But most importantly, you've got something else rolling through uh, up there. I think in the legislature in Maine. I want to make sure everybody knows about your fight and how they can assist you, sir. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity, and uh, congratulations on the New York Times saying that War Room was the number one source for factual information. That's a that's a good thing. <laughs> Um, I just wanted to give uh, your viewers give your viewers a little bit of context of how bad it is here. Um, I would say Maine's K through 12, you know, public schools are irreparably broken at this point. We are seeing the worst academic assessments in our history. We are seeing the highest uh, tax burden in our history. And based on the nation's report card that just recently came out, only 29% of students in Maine are proficient in reading, Steve, and only 24% of students in Maine are proficient in math. It's the lowest score since I've been keeping track of it. And, you know, we spend $3 billion a year here for Maine schools. The majority of Maine citizens pay uh, a, a large percentage, sometimes up to 85% of their property taxes to go to the local school in their hometown. And simply, I tell every parent I can, pull your kids out of these schools now because it's that bad. But if you can't, Steve, you better be fighting for your kids' education like their lives depend on it every single day because they do. These schools wanna take your kids from you. And those are a couple of the bills that we've recently seen roll through the Augusta Capitol here in Maine. How did that, how did that happen? I spent, you know, my, um, 
although I'm a Southerner from the South, on my mom's side, uh, my great-grandfather was, uh, was a sergeant in the 1st Maine Cavalry during the Civil War, and his brother died uh, in the Civil War in Dahlgren's raid with the 1st Maine Cavalry when he volunteered. So we've had a stake, and I've gone, used to spend summers up in Maine uh, working. How did this happen? Maine is one of the best states in this union. I've got to tell you, the, the people up there are just absolutely in, in, in incredible, right? It's a, it's a, it's an incredible state, incredible people. How did the schools get so radicalized? Yeah, it's it's a beautiful four season state, uh, Steve. I mean, I love I love being here. Um, I've got a beautiful house here on the Penobscot River, and I'm really blessed. But what's happened in our political spectrum is, I would say that conservatives have been asleep at the wheel for the last couple of decades, including myself. And until three years ago, when we received a letter at my twin daughter's high school calling us all white supremacists on the heels of George Floyd's death as Minneapolis is burning to the ground. I didn't know how bad it was. And we've just simply allowed many of these folks to get on school boards in Maine, run unopposed, and they are leftist progressive Democrats. And they're looking to indoctrinate your kids to graduate little socialist leftist Democrats every June from high school. And so we're in a just a horrific situation here in Maine. The assessment scores are just the tip of the iceberg. Um, I've been able to uh, really work on exposing critical race theory in Maine schools, hypersexualization of minors in Maine schools. And uh, what we're really seeing now, unfortunately, we just had this bill three, uh, LD385 pass. And what it was is uh, it's known better as chapter 117. But what that states is that social workers in schools can sexually transition kids and keep it a secret from parents. And so we recently had a situation in Little Damariscotta, Maine, a town of 2,500 people, a beautiful, quaint little town on the coast, where a mother found a chest binder in her daughter's room and a social worker in that school system had sexually transitioned this girl to be a boy using different pronouns in different names in schools and then told that 13-year-old to keep it a secret from their parents. This is how bad it is and we'll touch on LD uh, 1735 here in a second, but just wanted to give your viewers a sense that I think there's not enough strong men and women in Maine to push back. And what we're seeing out of the Maine GOP is a bunch of milk toast paper tigers. Um, talk to me about the uh, talk to me about these bills you're working on. What what's your organization? I want to make sure everybody gets a chance to go there. What's the organization? Yeah, so I may, I work for Maine First Project, and I uh, do a podcast called Maine Source of Truth. Uh, Maine Source of Truth you can find on Facebook, and you can listen to the podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. Um, it's about 60 episodes or so of educational-based content with a number of people around the country, uh, peers of mine that are battling in the same situation. Um, but this three uh, LD 1735, which actually today is supposed to be in a work session in Augusta, it's a bill, Steve, that's falsely labeled an act to safeguard gender affirming healthcare. And really what it is, it's a classroom to clinic pipeline, right? This is a trans tourism sex trafficking bill to kidnap kids, bring them into Maine and then mutilate their bodies uh, because of their gender dysphoria. And no child, regardless of age, should be able to self-diagnose what's going on. But these schools are pushing this trans cultism, and it is very unfortunate. Parents are not fully informed as to what's going on. And I would argue nine out of 10 parents here in Maine have no idea what we're talking about. 
Okay, hang on for a second. Hang on a second. My head's already blown up. I know the audience is. Hit rewind sure. on that. I've actually uh, moved some things around here so we can spend more time with you. Uh, okay. Those are pretty explosive terms you just used. Walk us back and, and break this bill down for a second. When you say that, hey, it's supposed to be a gender affirming, and that sounds bad enough on top, but you're saying, oh, it's really a sex trafficking and uh, mutilation bill. Back that up for a second. So what is the bill itself? And first off, why are these radical things even coming up in Maine? What has happened to the folks up there? I mean, this is not what you think of when you think of uh, you think of uh, the state of Maine and the hardy types it takes to live up there, sir. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, we we uh, we generally uh, again, you mentioned, you know, uh, uh, the the service that Maine has put towards uh, uh, the United States here in the last few years, but what's happened is well, hold it, what, 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 have, hold it. But what about Joshua Lawrence? What about Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain? Not for Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain, we don't have a country. If he didn't hold, if uh, what the Maine infantry didn't hold the the pivot of the far left of uh, the, at Gettysburg, you wouldn't have a country. They would have gotten rolled up. Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain's one of the greatest heroes of the Civil War. But the what Maine has done in the history of this republic has been extraordinary. How did this happen that you've got now these massively radical bills that are targeting children and the family coming from the legislature in Maine? Yeah, we've lost this state, Steve. Um, What I would say is between Governor Mills, our House Senate and our district attorney office, they are all controlled by radical Democrats at this point. And that's been an incremental shift. What I would argue is the last three years, these leftist progressives have dialed it up to 11 and they feel uh, emboldened because there's nobody there to stop them. There are not enough parents and taxpayers pushing back. And so they've got free reign to radicalize the entire system. Joshua Chamberlain and the swinging gate, all of those things, 100%, you know, we, we Maine has helped defend this entire country and now we need help. Maine's a pretty cheap date. We've got uh, 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 Planned Parenthood, for example, spending millions of dollars here We've got radical organizations named Out Maine and GLAD and Maine Transnet, Big Pharma. They are pushing into Maine. And this bill is similar to the bills that you've seen in California and Washington, which, again, I will label as a trans tourism bill. Um, No parent, no child in the United States is safe from this bill because if a minor child, regardless of age, self-diagnoses them and their gender dysphoria, this is what the bill says. It sells gender affirming health care means medically necessary health care that respects the gender identity of the patient as experienced and defined by that patient. And it's not limited to suppressing the development of secondary sex characteristics, aligning the patient's appearance and physical body with their gender identity, and then anything that will alleviate symptoms of clinically significant distress due to gender dysphoria. Now, there's no such thing as gender affirming health care. It's permanent malfunction and mutilation of your body, irreversible drugs. There's no turning back. And there's zero scientific evidence that say any of these things will help these confused and some are mentally ill, these children, these minors in school. There was a study in Sweden over 30 years which said that the uh, culture and the supportive of the transgender movement continues lifelong mental unrest because 10 to 15 years after their surgery, after their transition, after their mutilation, the suicide rate of those folks that went through that goes up 20%, Steve. So this bill basically creates a situation where parents and police have no jurisdiction over these children 
if they're pulled from neighboring states or any states across the United States into Maine, the police cannot protect this child or the parents from potential mutilation. It's trans kidnapping, Steve. So the the basically the the law in the way that but it's but, hang, here, but hang but hang hang hang, but ho, ho, ho. hang, hang on one second so I understand this. You had this radical bill just passed and signed a law, I think, in the state of Washington, where if the kids yep. felt they self-identified, they could go to the school counselor, even without the parents, they could put them into one of these homes and the parents had nothing to do with it. When you say self-identified, how young can a child be to be eligible to self-identify according to this bill? There is no age definition on this bill, Steve. You could have any child of any age suddenly decide that a boy is a girl or a girl is a boy. I believe there are hold two on, hold sexes. Hold on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. You're telling me that if a five or six-year-old child goes into the doctor at school or goes into the teacher at school and tell them this, that that overrules uh, the parents, uh, that overrules the parents' ability to raise the child? According to the yeah, well, there's the, two the, things uh, involved. So, uh, so the, LD, the belief, yeah, LD six eighty five, LD six eighty five said that a social worker or a counselor can sexually transition a kid and keep secrets from parents. You've got LD seventeen thirty five, which basically allows the parent no uh, authorization over their children. So, yeah, you can you can certainly draw the conclusion that any child in any state who humps on a bus or is kidnapped or sex trafficked to Maine and then is radicalized and is put on a, a medical table for mutilation, that that's going to occur. And the parents, again, have no way to stop it because the way that the law is written right now, a law enforcement agency may not knowingly make or participate in the arrest or participate in the extradition of an individual pursuant to an out-of-state arrest warrant for violation of another state's law against uh, providing gender-affirming care. So for example, <laughs> Uh, America's governor, Ron DeSantis, is doing a great job down in Florida to knock this stuff off. But if somebody kidnaps a kid from Florida and brings them to Maine and puts them on a table in Barbara Bush here in Portland at Maine Medical Center for gender mutilation, there's nothing that the police or the parents can do to stop that. The way this bill is written, Steve. Okay, but but hang on, Sean. D correct me if I'm wrong. Knowing <laughs> the, the Northeasters in the heart, the hardy folk that uh, have to avoid the main woods, I think was the big warning up there, the orange book they used to sell. Um, yeah. This has to be a 90 10 uh, opinion. This, this can't, this, what you just laid out is as radical or more radical than the state of Washington. This has to be a 90 10 issue. Am I incorrect in that, sir? No, you're correct in saying that, Steve, but I think what's happened over the years is many people, what we would say from away, have moved into the state from Connecticut, from New York, from Massachusetts, from parts unknown, and they've brought their leftist progressive values here into the state. Then many of them have run for office over the last few years. And what I was saying to begin with, including myself, we've been asleep at the wheel here in this state for decades. And only now in the last three years have I started to identify some of these horrors inside our K through 12 public education system. And now we're trying to connect the dots between what's happening in Augusta in our Capitol building with Governor Mills and Commissioner of the Maine Department of Education, Pender Macon, and a number of these nonprofit woke groups who are looking to profit on children. So I would agree with you 100%. This should be a 90-10 issue. 
What I would say is there's not enough strong men and women in Maine right now willing to take a stand, willing to put themselves on the line, and uh, we need some support here. So I really appreciate the opportunity to expose more of this. But yeah, this is mind-blowing because people don't recognize how horrible the state of Maine is right now in treating kids, kids who have more anxiety, depression, and thoughts of suicide, Steve, than we've ever seen in our lifetime. Uh, Sean, how do people get to you? I want to know how they get to the podcast, how do they get to your site, uh, how they uh, and how they can support you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, main source of truth, you can search for that on any place that you listen to podcasts, uh, Apple, Spotify, iHeart, uh, Google. Um, and like I said, I think I've got about 60-odd episodes there. Always looking for great educational uh, guests to have on the podcast. Please follow me on Twitter, at Sean McBriarty. And also, you can go to the uh, Facebook page, Main Source of Truth. Hopefully, Zuckerberg will keep it up for a little while longer. But the more we get there to expose, the greater risk of that is for that coming down on Facebook. So um, I'm a big proponent of Twitter since some of the changes. And that's probably one of the best places to follow my work. Sean, honored to have you on here. Look forward to having you back and uh, hopefully get up there one day and visit with you guys. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thanks, Sean McBriarty, uh, doing the, the God's work in the great state of Maine. And man, what a fabulous place. If you've never had a chance to go there, absolutely breathtaking in its beauty, both on the uh, both on the coast and then and, and the great, uh, what do they call it, the Maine, the, the Maine woods. Just incredible. L.L. Bean, when you said go there. We go up to work. They have the aren't they have the book right there in the front in orange. Lost in the main woods. That's one of the first things you had to read before you went. Okay, we're gonna be back ten o'clock tomorrow morning live. Uh, we commit to you one thing: that the shows will be every bit as on fire as they were today. I want to thank everybody. I want to thank uh, Frank Speech, uh, all the great team over there. Logan Hauser, an incredible producer. I want to thank everybody. We'll be back here tomorrow morning at ten a.m. When you're back in the world. Folks, let me tell you about Salty. It's a company that makes a soft gel supplement rich in antioxidants to help people like you and me keep a healthy heart. While COVID gets all the headlines, it's important to realize that heart disease kills nearly 700,000 Americans every year. Yes, heart disease is the number one killer every year, year in and year out. Heart disease builds over time. Hypertension, high blood pressure, bad cholesterol, diabetes, all of it affects our heart. A healthy heart is key to being energetic as we get older. It is never too early to take care of your heart. You see, heart disease sneaks up on us. You can start in your 30s, and when this happens, you're at serious risk by the time you turn 60. If you want to take care of your heart and those you care about, please go to warroomhealth.com. That's warroomhealth.com. All one word, warroomhealth.com. Use the code warroom at checkout to save 67% of your first shipment. That's code WARROOM at checkout to save 67% and do it again. WARROOM HEALTH, all one word, WARROOMHEALTH.COM. Go there today.
You need, if you're going to be part of the posse, you need a strong heart. You need a lion's heart. How we're going to do that is with Salty. Go there, do it today, check it out.